Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. So these last few weeks, I would say, I think it's around five weeks or so, we've been really um, jumping into this topic of, well, it's written right here in the shirt on revival. It was something that the Lord just really birthed. I think it's a word that's thrown out uh, around a lot. Uh, just to be clear, just because we're meeting in a tent does not mean we have revival. <laughs> uh, our hearts are to see God move mightily, but it looks like something, and we've been really giving language and vision for what that, what that looks like, and our hearts have been stirred, partly because we see in the scriptures that when you start to see some of the shakings and the things that are going on that we see in our nation on a global level, uh, the word also says that coupled with that, you're going to start to see the gospel of the kingdom. You're going to see great outpourings being coupled with those shakings. So we believe that as we're seeing an intensity rising, uh, if you want to call it the negative trends, that we believe that there's going to be some amazing positive trends that come forth as well. And we've been on this journey of really discovering and what that looks like. And I feel in my heart that we're on this, we're in this process right now where revival is something that really begins to touch, like, people outside of the body. It touches businesses, communities. But what first has to happen is there's an awakening that takes place first. And the awakening is within the church body. And I feel that these last few weeks, God has organically led us into this series because I feel like he's awakening. He's putting his finger on things. He's highlighting things. Each week, it's been distinct and unique, yet there's these overlaps and these connections I see as well. And we're just saying, Lord, whatever it looks like, whatever you're speaking, like, do it right here, right? We just sang about and Crystal preached about um, us, the light living in here. Like, that's what's happening. Revival begins right in the heart. And so I want to I share something. God just was just screaming off the text this week in Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. I want to I stir your heart and provoke your heart in something from Hosea. And then uh, seeing how we do with time, if, if it works out, I want to take us into Proverbs to give us the practical side of how we do this, all right? The book of Hosea, the backdrop is that there's a lot that's happening in Hosea's day that I see happening in our day. And so I just, I felt Lord highlight something, and I want you to, want you to hear this. The Lord speaks to the prophet Hosea in, in just verse 1, and he says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. He says, there is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and then he says this right here, and no knowledge of God in the land. The issue in Hosea's day, he says that there's no knowledge of God in the land. Now, before I just begin to break that open and just begin to speak what I feel God's doing, and what he's restoring, and how he's reviving the church to have a knowledge of him again, I want to just kind of step back for a moment, and, and I just want you to catch this of how deeply we need to come in alignment with what God is saying right here, because We've looked at some of the trends and some of the shakings politically, the racial tension, all these things, but then we spoke about how in the church, at the same time, there's these trends that are revealing this mass exodus of younger generations from the faith. Like they're just, they've been entertained, we said, but their hearts have not been stirred because they haven't really encountered the living God. And they need more. We have to stop pretending that entertaining the young ones is enough. Like they need encounters with God. And not just that, though, there are trends that I've just been reading that once used to differentiate the church from the world, they've been thinned out now. Like even things about having purpose and boredom, there's the same confessions that are happening from within the church that are happening from without. The same type of addictions and abuses and broken families, things that you would believe to see Jesus as restoring, you're seeing the same type of level of these things happening within the church as they are without. And here's what really began to grip my heart 
is that all of these things are taking place and expounding while the church, at least in the West, is making external gains in a way we've never made before. So while we're seeing trends that reveal an inward bankruptcy, we're seeing an external prosperity of the church that we have never seen before. We're bigger, it's better, it's more, it's greater, it's larger, yet all at the same time, we see that there's this deep, like, lacking within the body. There's something that's missing. Like, we have to just stop pretending that what we're doing is actually working. And what really just began to stir my heart is, is the fact that... Um, like, where do we go from here, right? What's the answer? What's the solution to this? And I, I just believe deeply that it's not about something new. It's not about a new technique. It's not about a new method. It's not about a new strategy for evangelism. It's not about any of those things. I believe it's what Jeremiah spoke about in chapter 6, where God led him to say we need to return to the ancient path. We need, to we need to come back to an ancient way. Seek it, stand in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Like while we're out going, getting bigger, more, better, faster, things are growing, there's a lacking with the depth that's happening. We're getting wider but not deeper. It's actually getting shallower. And there's awakening that needs to happen. And I believe there is an answer to this hour. I believe there is something that we can do. It's not complex though. <laughs> it's not mystical. It's not some secret thing that only a few have. To use the words of A.W. Tozer, I believe it's this simple. Acquaint thyself with God. I believe the, the pressing like need right now in this hour are those that begin to know God again. The knowledge of God being restored back to the hearts of his people. Like nothing will bring back or regain lost power to the church than those that begin to see God rightly again. Like we need a knowledge of God again to touch us. God is pressing and calling his people to step out of the exterior things, to be content to stay there and begin to press into the interior life of God. That's what Jesus paid for. Like there's a longing for that. Nothing will begin to release faith again. Nothing will kill complacency. Nothing will kill religion. Nothing will kill form. Then when we start seeing God and our hearts get awakened. In the days of Hosea, he says, this is the problem. There's no knowledge of me. There can be lots of activity. There can be lots of form. There can be lots of doing. He says, but who knows me? Who actually carries my heart? Who understands me? Who has seen me? The knowledge of God that he speaks about in Hosea, it's not, it's not, God isn't looking for us to simply be able to regurgitate all of the facts that we've acquired about him over the years. He's not asking who can recite their church's doctrinal statement. That's important to know. But he's asking, he says, who knows me? Who has a relationship with me that is so close that their knowledge of me touches their core and changes who they are? This is the knowledge of God that he's looking for. This is what God, I believe, is inviting us into, and we were made for this knowledge. Every person here was made to know God this way. He, like, he is, I just feel that God just calling to say, like, this is an hour where the knowledge of God is going to touch the church again. And they're going to be revived and awakened, fascinated, on fire again for the Lord. All because they're seeing him rightly. This is what makes us come alive. This is what makes us tick. It's what we were made for. And we were made to know him. And God's deepest desire is, is for us to know him. This is what God wants. This is what we lost in the garden. Right, like this is what Jesus laid his life down for. John 17, 3, Jesus says this is eternal life. That they may know the one true living God 
and Jesus Christ whom they have sent. Jesus defines eternal life as not as something you, you experience after you die. He says it's something you can touch right now as your life begins to touch God by the Spirit. He says right there eternal life is beginning to explode within a human heart. Like this is what we're made for, the knowledge of God to begin to be restored back to us. And God, I just, says, I just feel, wants to break out of the form, the religion, all of the things that take place even in this hour right now. You know what uh, Jesus, Jesus said in Matthew 7? He taught, this is, man, this, this scripture really rocks me. He taught that it's possible to fall and walk in a type of way with God, a type of religious walk where you can speak the right things, you can even do the right things. Like he actually said mighty things that you can do, and at the end of it he says, I never knew you. That's, that's incredible. He says you can, you can attend, you can go through the motions, you can do all those things. And Jesus says at the end of it he can actually say, you don't have a knowledge of me. And I say, and it's not, and I feel God like jealous in this hour to restore right knowledge to his church. Like he doesn't say that. I guess I used to think of it as God is saying, like, I can't wait to, to shock people when they get to me and find out. No, no, no. He's right now, like, calling, sounding the trumpet, saying, come up out of just coming to a Sunday service. I want you to know me. I want you to come alive again. I want your heart to beat for me. I want zeal again in the house of God. I want fire in the church again. I want the glory of God to be restored. Matthew 25, Jesus addressed the ten the ten wise virgins, which is representative of the, of the church as a whole. He said five wise, five are unwise. Why? Because of cultivating oil. And do you know what he said to those that didn't cultivate oil? He says, I do not know you. <laughs> in one case in Matthew 7, he says, I never knew you. This one, he says, I do not know you. Meaning, I did. I did know you, but you stopped intimacy with me. You stopped cultivating the oil with me. I used to know you. I feel God is just awakening hearts saying, man... Come back to connecting with me again. Set your hearts back on fire. There is a grace in this hour for us to really walk in a knowledge of God that we have never seen before. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to his disciples and he asked them two questions that I believe the Holy Spirit is asking right now. And the first question that Jesus asked, he says, who do people say that I am? I believe the Holy Spirit's asking this, why? Jesus deliberately asked this question, because he knows we all, myself included, have a tendency to have a knowledge of God based off of someone else's revelation. He says, who do people say that I am? Is that what you base it off? It's like saying, who does Andrew say that I am? Well, that's good, but who do you say that I am? Do you know me? Like God is restoring firsthand relationship back to him. Because the danger of building a knowledge of God based off someone else's revelation alone is that that knowledge actually puffs up but it lacks a transformative power to change you. And that's what happens. We have all this knowledge from what others have told us. And God says, but have you seen me? Have you looked into my eyes? Have you heard my voice? Or has it been from someone else? I thank God for my parents, my grandfather. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for their wisdom, but at some point, I've got to connect with God myself. I heard, uh, I forget who it was. They just reminded me. I, I don't remember who it was, but he said, God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. He only has sons and daughters. There's no secondhand relationship. <laughs> and he wants everyone here to come into a knowledge of him and who he is. In Job chapter 38 to 42, God came and addressed the man Job. And he released 110 questions to Job. <laughs> Can you imagine that God himself, the great I am, 
And in these 110 questions, God was bringing Job to an understanding or deeper knowledge of who he is and what he's capable of. And Job was absolutely wrecked when he came into encounter with this type of knowledge of God. And at the end of it, Job said this, just listen. In chapter 42, he says, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. He said, before I spoke about things that I didn't know. I didn't understand. And then he said this. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes have seen you. He says, I had a walk with you that was based off of the rumors that I heard about you before. He says, but now my eyes have been opened to see you. This is an Ephesians 1 moment I feel in my, in my spirit. What do I mean by that? It's where the scripture says that the eyes of our heart will be opened up in order to grow in wisdom and knowledge and wisdom and revelation so that we can grow in the knowledge of Christ. I believe God wants to do that so deeply in my spirit, and he's doing it right in this house. Do you know what Job's friend Elihu said in the midst of all this? Oh, man, this rocked me to the core. Elihu, when he saw, he began to get a right knowledge of God. You know what he said in chapter 36, verse 26? He says, great is God, and we do not know him. There was a revelation where Elihu was hit, and he says, wait a minute, God is great, and we actually don't know him. I believe God wants to restore an Elihu cry from the church where we see his greatness and we say, my goodness, I thought I knew him. God is great and we do not know him. Oh, we need to press into him. Do you know, do you know why I feel in my spirit, why there's a lacking of the knowledge of God? I think uh, the Lord was showing me in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 to 24. God came to a people that I believe are in a similar situation as we are. He came to a people that were prospering, but deeply lacking, right? Like if you came outside and say, wow, look at all the things, the activity, it's, there's so much going on. He says, but there's actually a deep internal bankruptcy. And he came and he said, the reason why is you boast in your might, you boast in your strength, you boast in your activities, you boast in all these things. He says, but here's what I want. If one boasts, let him boast that he understands and knows me. See, what's, what's capped us from growing in the knowledge of God is we've gotten really confident in all the things that we're doing. And because we see activity, we say, we're good. We don't need to grow in the knowledge of God. We've got all that we have. Yet there's a, there's a power that is lacking in the gatherings. The same question that God released in the day of Jeremiah, I believe he's releasing that same question today saying, what are you confident in? Are you confident in all of these things? Or who is the one that's confident that he knows me? He understands me. Who's the one who's confident in the fact that he carries my heart and he, and he knows my ways? And there's just a restoration that God is bringing right now for us to know him rightly and to see him. I believe Hosea, this, this chapter 4, verse 1, he says there's no knowledge of God in the land. I believe this is a revelation of God's heart for us to recapture a real sense of his majesty. Like we, A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing that comes to mind is what we think about God. What is our thought about God? We have to restore a right perspective of who God is. And listen, this isn't, when Jesus asks his disciples the second question, he says, who do you say that I am? That's not a question that can be worked out in a 45-minute sermon. It's not a question that's worked out in a Wednesday night home group. This is a lifelong pursuit and journey of exploring the endless, infinite, transcendent God. Like for all of eternity, we will continually pull off new layers and new wrinkles and be amazed when we see a new facet of who he is. 
And God wants to restore like real wonder to the church. Really seeing the greatness of God again. Because if this thing gets in order, it's what we said before. Acquaint thyself with God. All of the other issues that are taking place, I believe, will begin to work themselves out. You can, you can climb many, let me put it this way. There are many attributes of God. His faithfulness, his goodness, he's all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful. You take whichever one you want and you begin to climb up that mountain. Meaning you begin to spend the rest of your life on this side of eternity studying that one thing. And I promise you this, when you feel like you've gotten to the top, you will realize that your journey has just begun. Take any one of those things. Think about God being eternal. <laughs> Go to Genesis 1, and it tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You said, that's amazing, but who created God? <laughs> and you begin to now move off the pages of Genesis a thousand years, a million years, a billion years, a trillion years, 900 trillion years. Go back as far as you can before your mind begins to hurt. <laughs> And you realize you can go back 900 trillion years and you're still closer to Genesis 1 than the beginning of God. Because he's uncreated. God wants to restore wonder to the church again. Greatness to the church again. That we would see him. He says, there's no knowledge of me in the land. The Lord says, I want to be center again. The knowledge of who I am coming back. David, David said, God is great and greatly to be praised. And then he says, and his greatness is unsearchable. Meaning, not that you can't know him. He says, but you will forever search and never exhaust him. For all of eternity, you can, you can search out the infinite Lord. And you will always discover new things. Do you know, in, in the Psalms, it also says that God has to humble himself just to deal with heaven and earth. Literally, for God just to come and encounter us, he has to humble himself because he's so great and cannot be contained by heaven and earth. Think about the humility of Christ and the coming the form of a baby. The greatness of God being restored. Man, I'm so stirred by this that I feel what's going to happen more and more in this body is we're going to get fascinated again with God. Like really fascinated with God where this is what's going to be what fuels us. Because human discipline will only take you so far. But there is a grace where you begin to run after God in a way you never could when your heart starts seeing him rightly. When Ephesians 1 takes place and the eyes of your heart are unlocked to see God rightly. Do you know that in Ezekiel 3, actually chapters 1 through 3, when I read the word, I like to read uh, different parts of it. Not just Old, New Testament, but whether it's the prophets, the epistles, I try to read a little bit every day. And recently I was in Ezekiel. And chapters 1 to chapter 3, talking about being fascinated with God. Like, I get fascinated, in a sense, with movies, media, games. That's cool. But that stuff fades away. Like, nothing can touch our heart like God can. And this is what we're missing. Like, people are so bored because the knowledge of God is lacking in the body. And Ezekiel, chapters 1 to chapters 3, is about the people of God. They're in captivity, and Ezekiel begins to have these encounters with God. He sees an open heaven with God seated on the throne, much like Revelation 4 and 5. He doesn't go in, but he sees it. He talks about God seated on a throne, angelical creatures. They're going back and forth like lightning. He says there's a man that's made of fire that he sees. He's then told to eat a scroll, and he's going to now be commissioned as a prophetic messenger. <laughs> there's all these things. You know what it says at the end, at the end of chapter 3? It says that when all these things were done, Ezekiel sat by the river of Kabar for seven days overwhelmed. 
I've seen good movies. <laughs> I've played a good game here and there, but nothing has left me speechless for seven days trying to wrap my mind around the glory that I have seen. This is the stuff that I feel God wants to call us into. Like they probably thought Ezekiel was out of his mind. <laughs> Just staring off and they're saying, what is wrong with this guy? He's in a daze. And he says, you have no idea what I've been seeing, what I've encountered. There's such a grace for us to walk in this right now. And I, I just wanna, I wanna stir, stir your heart to begin to press into the knowledge of God. As I said before, Jesus has torn the veil. 1 Peter 1.12 says that we can look upon things within God that the angels long to look upon. Like the world is waiting for a saint or saints who have pushed past the exterior things of God and have come into a deep knowledge of who he is. They long to hear a voice that has seen these things. Because I promise you this, once someone starts speaking from that, like I'm humble to say, Lord, I want to know this, we will never let anyone else speak again unless they've seen those things. We'll say, I want you either be silent or you go get that vision before you come and speak. We want to hear from one who has seen. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. I'm going to get into this and just talk about it for a little bit here. Are you guys following me? In the day of Hosea, he says there's no knowledge of God in the land. And I believe God wants to restore our knowledge of him. It's not going to be in a moment. It's our lifelong pursuit. It's our privilege to grow in knowledge of him now. And so I pray that you just are provoked to go deeper with him. But the question then is, well, how do I do this? <laughs> How do I grow in the knowledge of God, right? Like, okay, pastor, thanks for telling me that. Like, I want to go deeper. I don't want to just have form. I don't want to just continue to go in the same routine. Like, I want to grow in knowing him. And the beauty is, is that we're not left to speculation. The scriptures actually clearly lay out how we find and grow in a knowledge of who God is. And it's right here rooted in Proverbs 2. And so for those of you who like to get real practical, I want to just speak this over you. And then, uh, and then we're going to pray and just begin that God would start breaking chains in our lives right now, setting hearts to see him, and that the new, this next season that we're going in as a body, I mean, we'll be forever changed, forever changed by what we see. So Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5, Proverbs 2 reveals the heart posture that is needed to grow and find the knowledge of God. And listen, it's primarily, in this text, primarily through the word of God. It's through the word of God. So this is important. I told you a few weeks ago, I was really stirred by God highlighting us finding and recapturing a delight in his word. I wasn't even planning on going into it right here. We're going to hit that in the new year, so I'll touch it just a little bit. But actually, this is what it's all about. God just took me right into this. It's about us being restored with a delight, a hunger for his word. But listen, Proverbs 2 gives us the key of how to not just read the word as a place of acquiring information and not changing. When we apply the Proverbs 2 realities, we'll begin to go from just having a knowledge of God in, in a very superficial way to actually it touching our core and beginning to be changed deeply. And so Proverbs 2 is centered on these three if statements that we're going to look at. Three if statements, meaning they are conditional. 
The point is, is that the knowledge of God, it's promised to us if, if, if we do these things that are being laid out here. Not just one of them, not just two, all three of these. If we do these, I promise you, this next season, we are going to grow in such an exponential rate of who God is. Like, it's just going to just come alive in our hearts. So look at this. I'm going to just read it all the way through, and then we'll break this open and, and close out in prayer. Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 1. He said, my son, my son, this is Solomon speaking. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, that's the first if. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, this is still part of it. Making your ear attentive to wisdom or so that your ear is attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Verse 3, second if, yes, if you call out for insight or cry out for insight, discernment, and raise your voice for understanding. Verse 4, the third if, if you seek it like silver and search for it as, as for hidden treasures, look at verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Isn't that incredible? The Lord says, I want you to grow in a knowledge of me, and we're not left to trying to figure out what that looks like. Proverbs 2 lays it out. And before I share these three if statements with you, I want you to see this opening words right here. Look how Solomon starts it. He says, my son. I want you to know that Proverbs 2 is anchored and rooted in a reality of a father's inward ache for his son to have a clear path of how to grow in the knowledge of who God is. And what Solomon was aching for his child, the father God today is aching for us as his sons and daughters. This is rooted in a father who's so jealous for his children to actually know who he is. One, it's because it's what, it's what he wants. <laughs> he wants us to be close. But two, if you were to keep reading Proverbs 2, you'll find out that there's a picture of this seductive, metaphorical woman who begins to draw people in into immorality. And the point is this, is that the father is so committed to his son not being pulled into these things. He says, if you find the knowledge of God, the pull of this, of this stuff of the world will break off of you. This is how, if, you're, if your heart is stuck on things that are counter to who God is, and you say, I don't understand. I wake up every day with such a desire to stop these things, yet I keep giving in. Maybe I go strong for months, maybe even a year, but at the end of the day, I return back. What do I have to do? It's not about you continually saying no. There's a place for human discipline, but the way to really get set free is to see God rightly. And the Father is saying, if you get a knowledge of who God is, when that woman comes along, that metaphorical woman, she will not have a hold on your heart anymore. Why? Because you've seen something greater. That's how your heart gets detached from the lesser things. That's the power of grace and how it breaks you and sets you free. My people perish for a lack of knowledge, Proverbs says. Hosea says the same thing. Meaning they perish because they can't say no to other things. But once they have a knowledge of me, their hearts get liberated. So look at this journey real quick. These three things, and then we'll pray. The first if, he says, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. The first thing is to receive and treasure the word of God. Do you know that it's possible? I was thinking about this. Do you know that it's possible to starve to death while reading a menu? It's possible. If all you have is a menu, you'll actually starve. And I've experienced moments and seasons in my life where the Bible became a menu, but it never became food to me. 
How you when you begin to receive and treasure the word, you're no longer reading a menu now. Now you're beginning to encounter the living word through the written word. And this is where you begin to grow in a knowledge of who God is. It begins with a heart posture that says, I'm going to receive and treasure the word of God. This is where it has to begin. It's the heart posture of one who sits and quiets his soul every single day to hear the voice of God and begin to meditate on the word. Guys, we have to, have to build into our daily life a time to come away, sit, get quiet, and receive the word into our soul. If you and if I, and I've been there many times where if I do not do that in one day, I can tell a difference, let alone a week, months, you begin to dry up fast. You're his, but man, you are lacking in the abundant life that he has made available. And you stop seeing him rightly and your heart starts setting itself on other things. But when you start getting into a place of just sitting, receiving, something shifts. We have to, have to do this every single day. I, I'm going to teach it in the new year. Like I think mornings to me, unless you have a crazy schedule, mornings are the place to do it, to receive before you go out anywhere else. But it's so, so critical that we do this. The scriptures say in Psalm 46.10, be still, be still and know that I am God. There's a revelatory knowledge of God that only comes in the realm of stillness. Our culture wars against this. It's noise, it's busy, it's activity, it's go, 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 go. Even in ministry, you get caught in that, you begin to lack internally. You have to learn how to come away, sit at his feet and begin to receive. And Jesus says, my words are spirit and life. I'm not talking about finishing a Bible reading plan. Listen, that, I, I, those are so important. I, I, I've used them. If that's, what, that's awesome, that's structure. The, the issue is that you can do a Bible reading plan and it becomes just something you check off rather than meeting with God. There are times, what does it look like to receive the word? There are times where I'll, I'll start to read the word. I have a plan and God highlights one word to me. And he says, do not move from this. Just stay right here. Weeks, it can be months. Like the gospel of the kingdom is exploding in my heart. And the more I chew on it and meditate, the more life I feel on it. And what happens is, though, in the Bible reading plans, if you're not careful, you miss your reading. I've been there. You say, that's all right, I'll cram the next day. <laughs> you can't cram. <laughs> that's like cramming for a test. You can't cram for relationship. This is about relationship. So God's calling us. The, I think one of the greatest pictures is Mary and Martha. Martha running around so crazy. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. She comes into a position of humility, openness, and stillness. And as she sits there, it says she hears the word. She begins to receive the word. The same voice that spoke into darkness and life came. Light came. The same voice that spoke to Lazarus and he was resurrected. What do you think will happen when that voice starts touching our frail beings? The knowledge of God begins to burst in our hearts. He says, receive it. And he says, treasure my word. This is, man, we're going to go into this in the new year. Treasure means we value the word again. We love it. We find pleasure in it. We delight in it. It's not boring. It's not archaic. It's not something we treat casual. Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. 176 verses. And it's all about David writing his love for the word. Over and over, how he delights in it. He loves it. It revives his soul. David knows something that we don't know then. He's not just reading it for just an empty knowledge. He says, I meet with God through this. It's the trembling at his word again. When we begin to treasure his word, we'll begin to tremble at his word. That's when we begin to apply and say, wait, I've heard something. I'm not just going to shoot this off to someone else. I need to let this touch my core too. 
I need to let my life come into alignment with what this truth is saying. I feel a lot of times in my own life, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but I have a trouble treasuring the word, and I find it, I can find it almost a, like a pull, like a heaviness, because I view it in the terms of God wants me to do it, and I just want to avoid the hot seat with God. But God wants to restore delight and pleasure to it. And I think a lot of times the word gets reduced to that because we use it as a sermon manual or we use it as a guide to our prayer language rather than a vehicle to encounter the living word, Jesus himself. And when it comes back to that, man, we begin to say there's nothing I enjoy more than to get away with the Lord and just to receive and treasure up his word. So every day we've got to receive and treasure in quietness, stillness. But look, look at this. Look at the second if. Verse 3. It says, yes, I love this. If you call out, cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Crying out for discernment and understanding. So one thing says, we need to learn how to sit, get quiet, and receive. Yet at the same time, we also need to learn how to lift up our voice and have a violent intercessory hunger for God. There are times where we need to just receive and get quiet. There's other times the Lord says, now you've got to go take You've got to ask, you've got to seek, you've got to knock, you've got to press in. God's not asking us to just raise up our voices just for the sake of having a, a loud volume. Some of us, we do. We actually need to lift up our voices. But God's saying, I'm looking into the depths of one's soul to find out who wants me more than anything. And many times in my life, I stop hungering for the more or I miss out on the more, I think, because of a false definition of God's sovereignty. I'm waiting on his perfect timing when God's really saying, no, I want you to press in right now. This is a time for you to take. This is a time for you to go. Isaiah 64, 7 says, there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. God says, where is the one who will stir himself up to take? There are times to receive. There are times to actually got to go and take. The kingdom of God suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. It's an offensive position where we begin to press into the deeper things of God. Revelation 10, there's a picture of this gigantic angel. One foot in the land, one foot in the sea. And in the right hand of the angel is this tiny little scroll, but packed with such powerful revelation. And John, when he sees the angel and he sees the scroll, the Lord comes to John and says, John, paraphrasing a little bit, he says, John, you see that? Go take it and eat it. He doesn't say receive it. He says, no, John, this one, you got to take. Like there are times where you receive and there's times where God's going to say, no, if you want this, you can have as much as you want, but you got to press into it. You've got to take it. You've got to hunger for this. You've got to push past where you've been before. Real quick, keep your spot in Proverbs 2. Let me just share one other scripture that connects this. Song of Solomon, turn there really quick. I want you to see this, chapter 3. And then we'll share the last if. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. One is to receive and take. This one is to be in the cry. I mean, one is to receive and treasure. This one is to take, to cry out, to hunger. And in the Song of Solomon, there's a picture of the bride, us, who's looking for the bridegroom, Jesus. That's the, that's the metaphor. And look what she says in verse 1 of chapter 3. She says, on my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. So I gave up the search. <laughs> no, she says this. She says, I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. 
In other words, she said, I didn't find him in the bedroom. I didn't find him in my place of comfortability. So what I did was I went into the vulnerable and dangerous places to go look for him. She said, my heart is now going to reach for him in ways that it's never reached for him before. There are times where we seek him and we find him in just the daily rhythms of receiving, getting quiet. But there are other times where we begin to connect. I felt the Lord showing me that for many, you might be frustrated with where you're at in your walk. Because even though you're receiving, God's calling you into an hour to take. He's saying, listen, you need to press into it like a way that you've never had before. He's saying, there's so much more, but I want you to come. I want you to come. I want you to hunger for this. Like it's right there. God's saying it's right here, but I want you to press into me deeper. All right, last thing, and then we're going to pray. Last if. In verse 4 of Proverbs 2, he says this. He says, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So the last thing is to seek and search out the word, like it's a treasure. It's a heart posture that says this. It says, the end result is so worth the pursuit. It's one that begins to see that what's on the other side of this cost of pressing into him is so worth it to grow in a deeper knowledge of him. There's nothing that will move my heart like that. Proverbs 25.2 says it is, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings to search the matter out. Why would God hide things? <laughs> there are many reasons to this, but here's this one. There is, a, there is a measure of glory. There's something about the seeking and the pursuing where there's a glory in that that you can't find when it's just handed over to you. There's just something about it. In the Song of Solomon I just read, if you were to continue reading, it says that when she found him, she said, I held him so tight and I would not let him go. In other words, because of the cost of the pursuit, she said, now when I found it, there was a different valuing I had on it. I didn't treat it lightly because it cost me mornings. It cost me my lunch breaks. It cost me friends. It, it had a cost to it, but God, I wanted you more than anything. So I pressed into you, Lord, and when I found it and my heart was open to the deeper things of God, I recognized something. I said, man, I'm going to steward this thing so well. Worship team, come on up. As they're going, I just, I want to share this, this last story as they're coming up, and then we're going to pray. It's really interesting that it equates, it equates the word here, and it equates the ability to find God and know him through the word as hidden treasure. He says it's like hidden treasure. And you know, in 1848, there was what was known as the California Gold Rush. And tens of thousands of people left everything. They left their homes, they sold all that they had, and they embarked on an incredibly difficult, dangerous journey. It lasted weeks and months. They traveled through the rough terrain of mountains and deserts, all because of the value that they placed on the gold that they were looking for. And when they finally got to California, did they find bags of gold sitting on the ground? Of course not. They then began to purchase machines. If you read the historical stories, they embraced sleepless nights. They embraced times away from their family. They embraced empty stomachs. They embraced the possibility of sickness and fatigue. Why? Because of the value they placed on the gold. They said whatever the cost is to find that hidden treasure, I'll do it. And I believe God is waiting to release a knowledge where the people of God become so fascinated when we say we're going to search for God like this, like it's that treasure. 
God is looking for lovers, voluntary lovers, who say, God, you don't have to force me to do this. I want to. And the good news is, is that 1 Corinthians 2 says that the Spirit of God searches out the deep things of God for us and reveals it to us. So even though we're pursuing, His grace is the one that's sustaining us and revealing to us. Begin to quiet your soul even right now. I understand if there's some that need to leave at any point, feel free and we bless you. We'll see you next week or throughout the week. But for those who want to stick around for a few more minutes, I just feel led to worship and just begin the release thing as we're worshiping to pray over you. And so you're more than welcome to sit, stand. You can respond in any way that you want. But I really do feel the Lord said that there would be a grace here. It's not going to be a, a moment where everything just changes, but there will be a grace that you will find that will begin to lead you into a new normal for your life in the pursuit of God. And so, Lord, I just pray right now, as just we begin to press into you, Lord, I pray, God, that a knowledge of who you are, a hunger to know you deeper, would begin to be released to your people's hearts, Lord, I pray that there would begin to be an acquainting with who you are in a way we've never seen. I pray, Lord, that what happens in this moment would not be restricted to a moment, but would produce a new lifestyle. I pray, Lord, for those who have learned how to receive and treasure but have not learned to take. I just pray the grace of God upon them right now. Lord, show them. Show them where to make change in their life, to go deeper with you. I pray for those who are running around in craziness of this world and they've not learned to sit with you. Lord, I pray it would become the most important and it would become the most, the most favorite part of their days, Lord, to sit at your feet.
from a distance. Jesus didn't die so that we could know him from a distance. 